You are now listening to the Soul and Wonder podcast, episode 56. Thrilled to be alive with Jake Eagle. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder podcast, where the conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and atlas of the soul are explored with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe, uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing, all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery. And now, here are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah. Welcome to the Soul and Wonder podcast. We are your hosts, Christopher and Sarah. We're so happy to have you with us today. We are very, very happy to have you. And you know, it's been a, it's been a long, long few months, hasn't it? Oh my goodness. We have so many projects we've been juggling at once. Yeah, so apologies for some of the delays in the podcast releases, but we are doing what we can to get this train moving. We're a two-man team with essentially three businesses, so... (laughs) So as far as any updates we have right now, as we mentioned, we do have a lot of projects in the mix. Uh, One of those being the Vegan Warrior Virtual Summit, which is a free five-day video series to help you amplify your vegan life so you can make a bigger impact in the world and accelerate the vegan movement. So we are super happy about this. There's over 25 vegan thought leaders from around the globe who are going to be sharing their insights, their strategies, giving you tools and resources to make this world a better place. So we are really happy for about that, um, really excited about that. That launches September 19th. However, you can go to veganwarriorsummit.com and you can save your free spot. Once you do so, you'll be entered into an email list and you'll receive all the updates on the summit, what's coming up, and all the juicy information we have for you. So Really excited about that and look forward to all that. Yes, you do not want to miss that. Just like you do not want to miss this amazing episode with Jake Eagle. He was a licensed psychotherapist in private practice for 25 years, and now he calls himself a metatherapist, and he offers a different approach to people who wonder what comes after therapy. Now, Jake what a pleasant, pleasant man to share space with. I left this interview just with increased awareness about my own actions and language and self-perceptions. He was truly, truly inspiring to speak with, and I know that you are going to truly value every bit of wisdom he has to share. So, you know, if you've been in therapy and worked on yourself for years, you may want to hear about how this new approach to personal growth and development works. Now, Jake is the author of an award-winning book with the title, Get Weird, How to Make the Most of Your Life. And he and his wife, Hannah, teach retreats at various locations all around the world. And in 2017, They uprooted their lives and moved to the big island of Hawaii to live out what they call the third act of their lives. They have such a wonderful relationship. Now, some of the topics we cover in this episode are dealing with why traditional therapy might unintentionally keep us stuck by actually validating our stories through the over-processing of our past and our emotions. We're also going to talk about the power of choice, of which state of consciousness we choose to operate from, and how that affects our day-to-day lives. 
because we do have that choice. And one of my favorite topics Jake goes into is talking about language and how the words we use either immerse us in or take us out of the present moment. And he calls this perception language. And of course, we're going to talk about what it means to actually be thrilled to be alive. Are you thrilled to be alive? So without further ado, let's bring in the interview and be sure to stick around to the end of the episode for your health tip. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're so excited. We have Jake Eagle on the podcast with us. Jake, welcome to the show. Hello there. Nice to be with you. Yes, we are very excited about this one. I can't wait to dive into all of the wonderful topics that you have to bring to the table. And, you know, before we get into what it means to live consciously, I want to backtrack a bit. So you were a licensed psychotherapist for 25 years. So I'm wondering what led you away from classic therapy and into the space of conscious mentoring and coaching? Well, it's... um... It's a big shift because I was a therapist for 25 years and I loved the work that I did with people and I felt like we were getting pretty good results. I mean, I had a long waiting list and I enjoyed a robust practice for many years. But in the last couple of years, um, I started to question the depth and level of satisfaction that both I was experiencing in my life and the lives of my clients. Were they really, were they really content? Were they really passionate about their lives? And, and my answer was no. My answer was as much as people who came to me as clients, as much as they worked on themselves and as conscientious as they were, there was this pervasive sense that there was all, a, always more to do And um, there was always something missing. And that's what I started to be curious about. What's missing? Why aren't the people that I work with, why am I, and I'm very privileged like most of the people that I work with, why are we not, and and this is the word I used, why are we not thrilled to be alive? Mm. And this occurred to me, um, I'm now living in Hawaii. I was in, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico for 25 years in private practice. And then two years ago, partially because this question came up, why am I not, why am I not more content? Why am I not happier with my life, even though my life looks great? Uh, that led to Hannah, my wife and I moving to Hawaii. And after we'd been here for several months, again, this sort of picture perfect life this question arose in me one morning, which was literally, am I thrilled to be alive? Mm. And my answer was no. And it made no sense. But a fascinating thing happened over the next several days, which is because I asked that question, I started seeing everything differently. All day long, I was thinking, why am I not thrilled to be alive? I'm married to this amazing woman. We live in this great place. We're building a, a sweet little dream house that we've always wanted to build. Why am I not thrilled? And the more I asked the question, the more thrilled I became, the more excited I became. <laughs> I started realizing my life is really great. And I've spent so many years trying to solve problems 
and process things that I think I've gotten habituated to it. And I stopped recognizing how amazing my life is. And so I then was working with a colleague and I told him about this. And I, I said to him, this is a guy who also, he's, had, he's got a great life. And I said to him, how about you? Are you thrilled? And he said, well, no, he said, I'm content, but he said, I'm not thrilled with my life. And we both had the same recognition that this made no sense. And so we decided we'd do an experiment. We said, why don't we do this? Why don't we do a 21 day program? Because there's that myth that it takes 21 days to change a habit. So we said, let's do a 21 day program and we'll talk every day or we'll exchange an email every day. And I'll remind you, I'll remind you how great your life is. And you remind me how great my life is. <laughs> and, and so we did this. And for 21 days, we exchanged emails and we would check in occasionally by talking on, on, uh, on Zoom or Skype. And we both had an extraordinary experience over those 21 days. It's like we really came to appreciate our lives. Mm. And that was the beginning of this concept of a different way of working with people, something that, in my opinion, goes beyond therapy. And I can share a lot more details with you, but it was a really transformative period for me. And since that time, I've actually been offering a series of these 21-day programs. I get, I get a group of 10 people from around the world, and, and we come together once a week for 21 days, and everybody in the group is, is buddied up. Everybody has a buddy. And your buddy's job is to reflect back to you how fundamentally extraordinary your life is. And the results I'm seeing are unlike anything I have seen in working with people for 25 years. What do you think is going on there? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty clear about what it is. Um, so let me see if I can explain it this way. Imagine a piece of paper, take a piece of paper and draw two lines down it. So you've got three columns. And the middle column are all the things that happen in life that provoke us, stimulate memories, create challenges. So in the middle column, it could be uh, a divorce. It could be um, a disappointment that may arise. It could be something simple like, um, you know, our partner is flirting with someone and um, we don't like it. It could be our child is talking back to us. It could be we're driving down the road and somebody cuts us off. So the middle column are all the various kinds of of stimuli that happen in the course of life. To the right of that is our response. So when I used to be flirtatious because I was pretty immature, then Hannah, my wife, would get jealous. That was her response. Mm -hmm. um, if we're driving down the road and somebody cuts us off, maybe our response is road rage. This is a very basic dynamic that there's a stimulus and a response. And therapy for 100 years has helped coach people and teach people how to have healthier responses. And so typical therapy, we do things like we explore childhood memories. We try to understand um, how our attachments were formed. We try to learn to set boundaries and process our feelings and empower ourselves. And all these things are great. They're very useful. I don't, I'm not at all critical of them. So we had the two columns, right? In the middle are the events that happen, the stimulus, and to the right is our response. And that's the world of, of psychotherapy. Now, 
to the left of the first column, there's a blank column. And I'm now referring to that as my state of consciousness. And so what I'm saying is that my state of consciousness, the state of mind I'm in before any stimulus arises, predetermines my response. Mm. And so my whole focus on that piece of paper has shifted from being on the right hand side of the page where I used to help people learn how to have better responses. I've now shifted to the left hand side of the page and I'm entirely focused or, or mostly focused on helping people learn to be in a state of consciousness. So when the stimulus arises and it naturally will, we respond in a healthy, appropriate way. Absolutely. Wow. And that makes a lot of sense because, you know, it's all about, like you said, sure, you could use language, state of consciousness, you could use language such as state of being, whatever it is that you are operating from with your thoughts and emotions aligned in a coherent matter, you're going to act from, continue to think from, feel from. So when you're in an elevated state of consciousness, you're likely to act from obviously an elevated state of consciousness. So that makes a lot of sense. You're sort of getting to the root, getting underneath what goes beyond even childhood, things that happened in the past, et cetera. Yes, exactly. And there's a second part to this, which is that all of the things that happened in the past and all the theories that we've made up about them, um, psychological models, developmental models, attachment theory, all of these things, all of them are made up. Mm -hmm. All of our stories are made up. And we get attached to the meaning that we give to things. And the work that I'm doing with people, in addition to helping them access a different state of consciousness, I'm also helping them realize it's just a story. It's a story. It's made up. You don't have to hold on to it so tightly. You don't need to limit yourself with a story that may be 10 or 20 or 30 years old, really very outdated. And a lot of what we're doing in psychotherapy now is we are validating the client's stories. Client comes in, they talk about the problem they're having with their spouse. The therapist says, well, according to attachment theory, this is why you're reacting the way you're reacting. And the mm -hmm. client becomes, feels validated that their response is sensible or appropriate or understandable. And I'm challenging all of that right now. I, I, I'm, I'm saying maybe, maybe not. Maybe a lot of these models, and, and these models have been around for 100 years, maybe a lot of them are just ways that we make sense of how we have behaved. But that doesn't mean that we have to limit ourselves to those models. I like the liberation that comes from yes. that approach. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a very, um, liberating is a great word. It's a very liberating approach that I'm using as I work with people now. And as I said earlier, I'm not critical of people who go and seek therapy. I think there's value in learning good communication skills. There's value in learning um, to understand var various um ways that we have of uh, various needs we have and ways we have of relating to other people. There are many, many valuable things. And I don't know how much therapy we need, but let's just say, let's just say the average person could benefit from one or two years of, of psychotherapy. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Great. But but I'm I'm seeing people who have been doing therapy for decades and they just keep going what what I say is they're going faster and faster around the same level of consciousness. And it doesn't take them to a different level of consciousness. They're just going faster at the level they're at. And and I've broken consciousness down and identified three different levels. The first one is safety consciousness, and that's where most of us live most of the time. And safety consciousness, is, it's, it's all the things that I do to make myself feel safe and secure and comfortable. It can be uh, very productive and very constructive. There's nothing wrong with it at all, but it is limiting. Mm-hmm. The next level of consciousness is heart consciousness. And that's where I live essentially in a state of gratitude. Mm. And, and heart consciousness is living with an open heart, regardless of what's going on around me. And and I'm not saying that I can live there all the time, but I think I, I know that I can live there much more of the time than I was able to before I developed this model that I'm sharing with you. And then the third level of, of consciousness I call spacious consciousness, and that's a contemplative state that is essentially accessed through meditation it's boundaryless. It's timeless. Um, there really are not words because it's a it's a nonverbal state. And being able to access that access that is extremely helpful in terms of dealing with this deep pervasive anxiety that so many people have. And so, in the safety consciousness, you're finding that most people perhaps stay stuck in patterns, stay attached to stories, and maybe fall into this illusion or belief that they're moving forward, but never have anything to actually show for it? Yes, they are. They are moving forward incrementally. They are developing skills. They are taking a little bit more responsibility for themselves and for their emotional life. I mean, there is value in getting good at safety consciousness. Hannah and I, we we teach these week-long retreats, and they are 50% focused on helping people get really good at safety consciousness, getting better at communicating, better at managing our boundaries, better at knowing our values, better at knowing how to self-soothe, all important things. But there's no breakthrough. There's no real paradigm shift, in my opinion, unless I take myself to a different level of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm. you, You remember that the famous Einstein quote that, we don't solve problems at the same level at which we create them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, I think that I create most of my problems at the level of safety. It's all about um, power and attachment and judgment, uh, defensiveness, comparison, evaluation. Again, these are not bad things, but I am limiting myself when I stay at that level of consciousness all the time. Very, very interesting. I love this whole concept and model that you've you've developed here. So I'm curious, what does it mean to live conscious and what are the main components of this philosophy? <clears throat> well, to live conscious is to take responsibility for my state of consciousness. So I'm constantly asking this question, what, what state of consciousness am I in and what state do I want to be in right now? And, and so there are times where my answer is I want to be in safety. 
I need to be purposeful and productive right now. And safety is the way to do that. But more often than not, my response now at this stage in my life is that I want to be in heart consciousness. And so by asking the question, what state of consciousness do I want to be in? I'm bringing myself to a choice point. And then I take responsibility to choose what state is appropriate. And then hopefully I have the skill and the maturity to follow through on that to actually enter into that state of consciousness, which takes some practice. Wow. I love that though. It's becoming the observer, taking ownership and setting oneself free according to what feels right for them in that moment. Yeah, exactly. And, and another part of this area is that it's also, it is that I no longer engage in certain kinds of conversations with people. In other words, people all the time, clients and other people are inviting me to have conversations with them in safety consciousness. Mm -hmm. And respectfully, I decline now. Hmm. Not, not always, but I don't want to validate that that's where you need to be. I, Could um, you... Yeah. Could you give an example, perhaps, to our listeners, what that might look like for someone to make that proposal of type of conversation to you and how you're feeling when you are presented with that? Yeah, I can. I was I was just talking to a neighbor recently who is involved in a real estate transaction, and he was saying he 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 was talking about um, people that were selling him land. And he was talking about how they were treating him unfairly and how they were being selfish and how they were basically taking advantage of him. And I said to him, and I, I know all the parties involved. And I said to him, you know what? I don't want to talk about those people in this manner. I don't think it's helpful to villainize them. And, and I think it would be more constructive to just talk about what you want to do and what you care about what your objectives are, what responsibility you can take to get the outcome you want. That's the conversation I'm available to have. I'm not really available to sit here and talk about how these other people are harming you. I don't want to have that conversation. Mm. And I like that a lot. I think, you know, using your personal power to, to, talk about that and say that to somebody, I think that's, that's incredible. Well, it offers an opportunity for a perspective shift on their point Absolutely. where they could reflect on the cycle or the pattern that they perhaps are stuck in in that moment um, through their expression. And it gives them that opportunity to, to, to take ownership and say, oh, hey, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I could spend my energy on something a little bit more fruitful for my emotional wellness or my well-being at this point. And it's it's and if not, hey, they don't take it. But that definitely gives you kind of like that fork in the road point where you can choose which way to go. Exactly. It's it's the it's the shining a light on that choice point. And if they choose to go down into the self-victimization, I'm not going to go keep them company. Well, and I noticed you weren't using the language, you weren't pointing them out or calling them out. You were specifically talking about how you feel being presented with their expression rather than saying, oh, maybe you shouldn't 
spend your energy on this. You're rather just saying, I would rather this, or I feel this way. So they see, they can't necessarily feel threatened by your ownership of your personal power. So, and if they did, it's obviously an emotional, you know, reaction on their point. So I could see how conscious language and choosing words wisely and voicing how you feel in that moment empowers not only yourself, but also provides them the opportunity to do the same. Yes, that's really perceptive of you. What you're talking about is what we call perception language, which is the way I talk, whereby I never tell you anything about you. I'm always talking about my own experience and my perception. I do sometimes have perceptions about you, but that's you in my mind, mostly. It's, it's my projection. And when we learn perception language, we, we learn to talk in a way that really helps other people hear us. They, they generally don't get defensive because they never hear us telling them about them. And I can imagine that takes a lot of practice. Absolutely. <laughs> it, 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 does, um, it does, but the benefit is so dramatic that people, when they learn about this, they really seem motivated to... Um, incorporated in their lives. I'll give you a really simple example, kind of the most mm -hmm. simple one, which is often what we do is we blame other people for how we feel. So, you know, I could say to you guys, you know, uh, you, you made me angry or um, you frustrated me or um, something like that. And if I use perception language, I'm, I would say, I'm angering myself or I'm frustrating myself. And, and so as soon as I do that, I actually have empowered myself because I realize I'm doing this to myself. It, it doesn't matter what you do. You guys, maybe you show up late for an interview. And so I blame you because I'm irritated. But that's my responsibility. How I respond to you is my responsibility. This kind of goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago when I said on the page, you have the stimulus in the middle and then you have the response. Well, perception language helps me create space between the stimulus and the response where I can take more responsibility for my own emotional life because mm -hmm. I stop blaming other people. As soon as I stop blaming other people, even if I don't feel good, I feel empowered. Mm -hmm. I empower myself. And so this subtle change in language, what I'm really doing is I'm taking a lot of these words that we, we actually use incorrectly and I'm turning them into verbs. So when I say I anger myself or I frustrate myself or I bore myself, right? Those are all activities. Those are things I do. They're not things that are done to me. Mm. And so what sort of shifts have you noticed in your own life, perhaps with you and yourself personally, but maybe even in your relationship with your wife and others around you from adopting this live conscious philosophy? Well, it's dramatic, um, mostly in my relationship with my wife, Hannah. Um, I think that the last, we've been married 25 years we were pretty healthy, I think, when we got together, um, reasonably mature. We both were in therapy with the same therapist. We learned some really good relating skills. But for the first 10 years we were together, we had ongoing power struggles. Um, 
I was immature at the time and behaved in ways that are typical of young men. And she was more mature and impatient with me. And it was sort of an ongoing power struggle until we learned this way of communicating. And that was the dramatic shift because each one of us then took responsibility for our own emotional lives. And that was the most dramatic shift. Since then, there really aren't power struggles. There's a lot deeper connection because I'm never telling her about her. She's never telling me about me. It creates this amazing space in which to get to know someone. Um, and then when we do have tension, it doesn't last long. So now if tension arises, usually within a short amount of time, one of us will say to the other one, what do you want to have happen in the next five minutes? You know, do, 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 do you want to connect or do you want to disconnect? Do you want to have a fight? And again, we're bringing it to consciousness and saying, what do we want to have happen? And 99% of the time, we'll both say, now I want to connect, right? Mm -hmm. Once in a while, for various reasons, one of us may need to uh, sort of storm off and, and go take a walk alone. But that's pretty rare these days. That doesn't happen very often. So the huge difference in our relationship, and then also just a very big difference in my relating with people in general, in that I would say I'm, I'm far less reactive. I'm far less concerned with what other people think of me, even if they're judging me, because when someone judges me, I realize they're really telling me about themselves. They're not telling me about me. They're telling me about themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it's interesting when you were talking about this, I, a vision came to mind and the vision was, is that I, I thought of a movie set. And so that you're the director of this movie and you're telling these other characters kind of how to really live. Are they going to live consciously or unconsciously in that moment in time? And so by stepping back, you're almost the director and cutting the scene at that point and say, okay, we have a choice here. We can go one of two ways. And so by doing that, you're, again, that's coming from an observational standpoint, which is incredibly empowering. Um, and I just, I love that. I really do. It, it's it, it, great, great image. I love it. Absolutely. Um, it, it's two things. It's observational, but it's also um, the word I think Sarah used earlier. It's also about ownership. So whatever mm -hmm. it is that I'm observing, I'm not trying to cut off or get rid of even, mm -hmm. even the aspects of myself that I don't like. Um, I want to take responsibility. I want to integrate. I want to embrace. I want to bring all of that in as opposed to push any of it away. Yes. Right? I like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So what, what is your vision for the world through the teaching of how to live consciously? Well, I have probably two or three different ways of answering that. So my first most realistic vision is personal. I want to live with an open heart regardless of what's going on around me. I, I believe that that's possible for me. Um, I can envision what it would be like. I don't do it yet, um, but I do believe that that is realistic. And I think that if I can do that, then I can model it for other people and hopefully they benefit as well. So that's the first kind of realistic vision I have. Um, the second one is 
to find ways to teach this to people where they can adopt it relatively quickly and put this into practice. And that's why I'm excited about this little 21 day course I've been doing online, because these aren't people that I know. These aren't people that I've worked with for years. These are people I, I spend a few hours with over the course of three weeks. And they're having these huge pops, you know, like, wow, this is really significant. Now, I don't know what happens for them two, three months after they go through the course. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm providing sufficient support, but I can imagine that's part of my vision. I can imagine a system where people will find ways to have ongoing support. I, I don't know if you guys ever heard of something called reevaluation co-counseling. Mm, I'm not familiar with that term. You may be too young. It was very popular, oh, I guess 30 years ago is when I was introduced to it. And it was a weekend course where people would come together and you had no training as therapists, but you would learn how to listen to another person really well. And then they would basically be your buddy and people would go off and do this and, and, and do it sometimes for years with the person that they went through the course with. I'm envisioning something similar. I'm envisioning people coming to this, I call it thrilled to be alive course, Mm -hmm. learning how to be an effective buddy, and then having this be part of my ongoing um, evolution, growth, personal development, where once a week I'm checking in with somebody and, and it's not therapy. It really is this process of being reminded that I have a choice as to what state of consciousness I'm going to live in. So, mm. so that's kind of my second vision that I think is realistic. And then my third vision, of course, is to change the world. Mm-hmm. And that one um, I've struggled with for a long time and mostly frustrated myself. And I, I, I go there less and less as I get older. Um, I think it's a vision that comes from safety consciousness. It's a vision where I have a lot, uh, I have a huge agenda and I'm constantly measuring myself and I'm constantly falling short, Mm -hmm. right? So I write a book and it goes out in the world and I feel good about it, but it's not a bestseller. I don't feel good. So then I have to write, right? And, And to me, that kind of ambition is actually not constructive. It's, I'm not living in the present. Well, and the beautiful thing is that living in the present with yourself, entering that heart consciousness and above as often as possible and as often as feels good to you, like you said, helps show other people they can do the same and that, you know, by proxy, the world is positively impacted without having to have that egoic attachment of forcing change, but rather just starting within. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you're using the word force. And I really, um, I love this distinction that I've been making, which is to replace force with presence. Mm hmm. And I'm, it's perfect. Uh, yeah, I'm doing this a lot now in my life and in my work and in my relating is I'm relying on presence instead of force. And I would say I'm getting better results, more congruent results than the last uh, six decades where I relied on force. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I, it's refreshing, too, to hear you speak um, 
as an observer and owner of your life through the process. And I think that's important for people in the personal development realm to consider, you know, that's something that Christopher and I try to make, you know, as comfortable, available to our community that we interact with, showing what we're processing, what we're feeling, what we believe, you know, we're, you know, going through and not going through. And a lot of that is still through safety consciousness, I believe. But there's this sort of heart space that comes from that vulnerability and sharing as well, that's inspirational for many people to connect with. And once again, provide that opportunity to become the observer and become the owner. Yes, yes. And I, um, I've I've heard you do that. I, I I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and I've I remember one where you read a review that was wasn't terribly critical, but it was like somebody gave you a three star instead of a five star, and and you guys chose to share that. And I think it's an example in a small degree of what you're talking about, which is not having any pretense about where you are in your lives, mm. um, saying this is where we are, and and we acknowledge that uh, there's still things we're we're working on and exploring. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's a very helpful uh, way to model what it is that we want to share with other people. I'll tell you one thing I think it is that I've been noticing about myself. You know, I've heard this popping up a few times in the past few days. And so typically that's a good sign that it's something that needs focused on. And it's the attachment to stories, you know, using a story to paint a picture of oneself in your mind's eye doing it with good intention, you know, maybe using it to help inspire or to learn even more about oneself through the way that you've used the story now. But that's something I've noticed is very easy for myself. And I think Christopher could probably relate to get wrapped up in. And I'm very intrigued because I was listening to a radio interview on your website with yourself and your wife and the host. And she was talking about how when she went to your retreat, Nobody had stories to share. Everybody chose their own like nickname, so to speak, to go by and how liberating it was to not have to have a past example to show someone in front of you or to give them, try to give them an idea of who you are in front of them. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, the more accomplished people are, the harder it is for them. It appears more difficult for them not to tell their story. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have um, we'll have 20 people in our retreats and everybody takes a synonym instead of using their real name and they don't tell their story from being back home. But the more accomplished people, the doctors, the lawyers, the judges, they just they're just so wanting to tell everybody what they've accomplished mm-hmm. and who they are. And to be anonymous for a week is both challenging for them but incredibly powerful. Wow. Right? What a great approach. I really love that and resonated with all of that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a question for you guys. Are, mm-hmm. you, are you thrilled to be alive? Oh, man. I, as soon as you asked that, my whole body lit up on fire. <laughs> I, can, I can honestly say yes to that question, and I am thrilled that I can say yes. At this present time on, what is it, June 4th, 2018, I will answer a hell yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you wake up most days aware of that? Is it in your consciousness? Yes, and it's often something we share with each other daily where we're like, 
just look at our lives. Look at this. Look at this, babe. Look at yeah. this. You know, we yeah. say that to each other, even when we've had the same meal over and over again or something. We're we're thrilled to be there in that moment, having that same meal in this place in Boston that we're just. But you know, it's the interesting thing is you wonder: is it external? Is it influenced by external factors, or is it coming from the inside out? And so. That I think is something that will be tested over time. But at this point, waking up, no matter the external factors, I can answer for myself. I feel this this energy coursing through me. I'm ready to put my feet on the ground and see what the day has in store for me. That just that, but that also doesn't take away from any of the challenges or struggles that happen along the way either. And you know, I think that's the thing of people hear that answer of hell yes, like we're super excited to be alive, but that doesn't mean there doesn't there isn't challenges that happen along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but you know, wholeheartedly, I could say yes to, to that right now. To be thrilled, uh, you know, amidst the challenges, to still see the magic, right, right. is right. is the point for for me like that's what I strive for and that's what I feel I've been accomplishing lately is to to embrace the magic of the dark and the light the dance of the two together and to to just smile even when you're having a a (laughs) crappy day and say I'm still thrilled to be alive (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely it's great to hear you both say that I, I it's unusual I've asked a lot of people and only a handful of people have actually said that they are thrilled to be alive most people say you know I'm pleased or you know my life is good but I have some challenges things like that and part of what I'm suggesting to people is that the fact that we're thrilled to be alive doesn't mean that we don't have problems, it, mm-hmm. but but it means that we don't suffer. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. That's quotable. <laughs> Quote that and put it on our image for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and and what what I'm what I'm sharing with people in the courses I'm teaching now is the idea that. We, we have very few what are called primary emotions. The, the, everybody kind of agrees there's anger, sadness, fear, and joy. Those are primary emotions. They're consistent mm-hmm. through all cultures. There may be a few more, but almost everybody agrees on those four. And those emotions are interestingly very short-lived. In other words, one of those will arise in me, say sadness, I'll, I'll make myself sad. And whatever chemicals are released in my system have a shelf life of about 90 seconds Mm -hmm. and then they dissipate and so people say well if they only have a shelf life of 90 seconds why have i been sad for three weeks or a month or four years and the reason is because after i had the initial experience of i i wouldn't say being sad i would say making myself sad Then I started to tell a story and the story kept feeding the emotions. So I kept re-stimulating the feeling and making myself sad and doing it over and over again. Those are secondary emotions Mm. and those are created by the stories we tell Mm. and those are the cause of suffering. Mm -hmm. It's, It's the stories I tell typically about what's already happened or what I think may happen, not really about what's happening in the moment. That's really where I get caught in these cycles and end up suffering. 
Mm-hmm. And so if we can stop telling the stories, or let me say it differently, if I can recognize that I'm telling stories, that to me is the first step. Recognize this is a story. This is made up. Mm. And is this what I want to be filling my being with? Is this story helpful? Mm-hmm. And I think what's more empowering too is that there's no right or wrong answer per se. It's what it needs to be in that moment for that person at their point of their journey. And that's also liberating because you don't have to compare yourself to others and the way that they react or don't react. It's all very personalized. Yeah, I, I, I mostly agree with that, that I agree completely there's no value in making comparisons. In terms of whether whatever I feel is necessary or right, or um, I really encourage us to hold high expectations mm-hmm. of ourselves and other people. I, I, it's the key to my relationship with Hannah. We both have really high expectations of one another, and I love the fact that she has these expectations of me. Mm. Right? It encourages me to be this really good man. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I like that. I, I really help myself with the fact that she holds that expectation. I like that worded that way. And mm-hmm. so what's on the docket this year for retreats and services that you and Hannah provide? Well, we are doing a, um, I think our next, full retreat is going to be next year. It's going to be in February, the first week in February, and that's going to be um, February 2019 in Mexico. Really great, great place on the coast. And then this year we are doing, I'm I'm doing these online courses, these 21-day programs. And um, interestingly, I haven't been charging for them. They've been what I call beta groups. I've just been doing them to learn how do people respond to this and how can I better share this information with people. So I'm going to continue to do those. At some point, I will start charging, or I think it may be a donation-based approach. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try something new. And then um, we're going to create a couple other online courses this year. They'll they'll be on our website. And I've got my book, which came out, I think, uh, the new version of it came out about a year ago. It's called Get Weird. And um, that teaches people mostly how to navigate safety consciousness really well. That that Mm. was the purpose of that book. Yeah. Wonderful. Sounds like you're awesome, up to some awesome things. And uh, we're definitely going to keep following your journey and what you guys are doing. And at some point, possibly make it to one of those uh, retreats. So do you have any, <clears throat> excuse me, any last words of wisdom for our listeners to begin living consciously with one step today? Um, I have two thoughts. Um, one, one is a quote from Martin Heidegger that I love. And that quote is... Um, one marvels not about the way things are, but that they are. Mm. Right? It, it's not what's happening in our lives. It's just the very fact that we're alive mm-hmm. is worth recognizing and celebrating. Um, and then the other piece, I guess, if, if people wanted to take away something to practice, is this idea of um, stopping and asking what do I want to have happen in the next five minutes? Mm -hmm. Really brings me present and really helps me take responsibility and ground myself. What do I want to have happen in the next five minutes, either in my own head or with this person that I'm interacting with? What do I want to have happen? 
And then, then I proceed much more consciously. And that's what our work is about, is helping people live consciously in every way, the ways that we live in our own minds, the ways that we relate to our lovers, our children, our parents, our friends, um, whatever it is that we're doing to do that intentionally and consciously. I love it. I do too. I really do. I really, uh, really enjoyed this conversation. So I'll share one last thing, um, which is you said, I love it. And in our work, we change most of the impersonal pronouns to personal pronouns. So instead of saying, I love it, you would say, I love myself. Oh. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I like that. I like, wait, hold on. I like, my, I like myself. I like myself. I like myself. Because, because there is no it. The idea of I love it. It's like I love it, this thing that's outside of me. But it's not outside of mm -hmm. you. It's, it's something that you've taken inside. You feel yourself. And you're really saying, I love myself when I think of this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just another example of how small changes in language can help us embody our experience and empower ourselves. That reminds me of something Christopher and I, you know, started trying to shift our language around when I was dealing with severe bouts of eczema and I was on this healing journey. It's, I learned to stop saying my eczema and I have eczema to I am experiencing it right now or something along those lines. So instead of taking ownership of this disease that isn't actually mine, it's just a reaction of my body to something happening inside of me, helps me to see that I have the choice to heal myself because I'm the one in control and in power. Right. Come, coming back to choice. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, where can our listeners find you and your wife to keep up to date and perhaps look into your course and services and everything that you guys offer to the world? Yeah, the, the easiest thing is our website and the name of it is liveconscious.com. It's, it's not live consciously, it's liveconscious.com. And um, people can send also send emails uh, to either me, which is jake at liveconscious.com or hannah at liveconscious.com. And we always respond to people. Um, responses are always confidential and uh, personal. Um, sometimes it takes a little bit before, us, before we get back to people, but we do always respond. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming onto our show and sharing your bits of wisdom with our listeners. I believe they will find this very helpful. Yes, thank you so much. I hope so. Nice to connect with both of you. What an inspirational man doing inspirational work. And I know that I am thrilled and excited to someday cross paths with he and his wife and participate in one of their retreats. That would be fantastic. And I would highly recommend you do the same. So now you have arrived to the health tip of the episode. And this health tip will kind of go on and build on top of one of the key insights that I gained from interviewing Jake and that was the question that he poses when you're in the heat of a moment asking yourself what would I like to have happen in the next five minutes and you assess your choices right you assess your choices and then you make a choice hopefully in alignment with your truest self not the ego right now this is essentially what I like to call tuning in 
You're tuning into your present moment. You're tuning into being the observer of your life. You're no longer a victim of circumstance as soon as you push that pause button and you ask yourself questions just like, what do I want to happen in the next five minutes? But also other questions. What am I feeling right now? Tune into your emotions. What are you feeling? Is this what I prefer to feel? If it's not change it. (laughs) It's that simple. It really is that simple. But I also don't like to spiritually bypass, right? So oftentimes, if you notice how you feel and you don't prefer to feel those emotions, sometimes it helps to to do a little digging and find those unmet needs that um, you are creating the illusion in your mind that you do need in that moment, hence the negative emotions surrounding it. But without getting attached to them, without feeling like you are defined by these needs, you simply just notice that you're feeling that you need that in that moment. And if it's something you can take care of, by all means, take care of it. But if it's not, that's another opportunity for you to express willingness to let go, trust in the bigger picture, you know, and stop trying to force everything into this box and just remind yourself that you do have the choice over your emotions. You do have the choice over your actions. You do have the choice to create the life that you want to live. And so most importantly, when you're feeling exhausted or you're in the heat of a moment and things are happening that you don't particularly enjoy, just take notice. I notice I am feeling this way. I prefer to be feeling this way. I notice that this is happening right now. I prefer to be experiencing this right now. So play around with this. I know it sounds too simple and too good to be true, but it really is very simple and amazing when you can give yourself that own your own liberation, right? And it takes practice. It's like a muscle. You have to build it up. You have to build up becoming the observer of your life. But once you do, I can promise you, I can promise, 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 you will not regret it because you will finally feel as though you have a sense of control over the way in which you live and the, the life that you create for yourself. So I hope that you enjoy the interview, enjoyed the interview with Jake. I hope that you enjoyed the simple health tip of just becoming the observer of your life with thoughtful questions. And until then, we will see you next time. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.